play Misty for me. <laughs> that lovely sound in the background you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, as we join our next podcast episode, is, is our guest returning for a rematch. Uh, will you please welcome Eric Baumgartner all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Hey guys. Eric, wonderful <laughs> to have you back. How are you? you How okay? are you? Great that to see you. That was a beautiful Great intro. To be <laughs> Great to see you again. Oh, this, 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 we're this breaking the... new ground tonight. It's marvellous. Yay, yay. Live music. Uh, Live music, pretty, yes. pretty much coming from, what, 6,000 miles away or something like that? A bit, something a, like a bit less, that. but yeah, yeah, it's a long way. And it's a long way. Several okay. time zones away, for sure. Yeah, but Eric, it's, it's so wonderful to have you back. Um, I mean, you completely dumbfounded the podcast world last time with, with not just um, a, a dizzying knowledge and explanation in so much detail about the nuts and bolts of natural wonder, which Paul and I just absolutely loved. But what was so amazing and what so many people commented on was just the fact that you've got your fingers around so many uh, <laughs> of these beautiful, wonderful pieces of music. Um, it yeah, didn't, it didn't yeah. matter how obscure it was, but you, you nailed it. And, and it was such a pleasure, and it's so great to have you back. Oh, thanks. I'm so happy to be here, guys. Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So I guess we're to talk about the things that make 10cc uniquely 10cc, are we not? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and as I um, had fun kind of reviewing the catalog, I was struck by a few things right away. One is just the, the large harmonic vocabulary that they had. Um, and by that, I mean the amount of different chords and not only the sheer amount that is unusually high for a pop group, but the way that they applied those chords was also quite striking and, 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 and quite unique. And of course, with the, the, the four members, they must have had uh, just a, a, a very, very large number of, of influences. But I think it might be fun and instructive to focus on one in particular up front, and that's the Beach Boys. Okay. I've heard you two both mention their influence on, on 10CC uh, in previous podcasts, and I think it must have been massive, um, particularly if you look at the way Brian Wilson would use harmony. He wouldn't just play standard pop chords over and over again as you would hear, he would strive to find interesting combinations so there was always this variety. Look at a piece like uh, God Only Knows. And you listen to those sounds. And the chords are always shifting almost like they're searching for something. They're really intoxicating when you listen to them on their own. And they would often involve just little bit of movement in one hand, little bit of movement in the other, so they connect really nicely. Yeah. Um, a piece like Surf's Up would be another good example of just those interesting sounds and combinations. Really 
really uh, beautiful on their own. Of course, what makes the songs great is they also had a lovely soaring melody that ties everything together. But uh, sorry, Eric, uh, but for me, one of the most interesting things there, apart from what's happening wonderfully and beautifully up top, um, many, many people have have marvelled at Brian's, if you like, parallel with Paul McCartney in that they're gifted composers who are both bass players. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, what is kind of the signature of those two tunes, over and above the wonderful chords, is that they're rooted to quite unusual bass notes, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, and with God Only Knows, you've got the the bass notes are kind of stepping up in almost the tiniest movements that you can get. Right. And they're the wrong steps, aren't they? Yeah. Well, these are known as as slash chords, meaning that when they are written out, you literally see a slash between the the, the, the two letters or notes. And the basic idea is you have a, a, a simple chord, a simple harmony that's played in the upper notes. But you're right. The, the bass or the lowest note would be something other than what we call the root, the name of the chord. So if I play a C chord and play C in the bass, that's the standard way. But yes, if I move the bass, suddenly we have a new sound Mm. just by changing that left hand. And we have all kinds of combinations that are now uh, in our palette just by changing the left hand. Um, you might hear them when you, when you call uh, the name the chord, like if I have C in the right hand and G in the left, we would call that C over G or C slash G because that's the way it's written with the slash. Yes. And you're absolutely right, Sean. I think of that as the, the secret ingredient to both the, the Brian Wilson stuff and subsequently the 10CC stuff. Mm. They love the, that sound because again, it opens up the palette uh, just exponentially in terms of the possibilities without going into, you know, complex jazz harmonies, for instance. Yes. You know, someone else who was highly influenced by that is Elton John. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading loads of interviews with him as a kid, and he'd mentioned how much he loved the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. But he also specifically talked about that that was where he was introduced to the idea of changing it. And with Elton... You hear that all the time in his music. One chord up here, different note in the left hand, you know. There it is again. Constantly, almost every Elton John song will have examples of those slash Absolutely. I, I hear it a lot, Eric, in the work of Burt Bacharach, actually. Am I right there? Sh- sure, yeah. I'll break down and cry. I would definitely think so. I think you would hear it in most of the composers who have a certain degree of harmonic sophistication, for lack of a better word, that that strive to have things go beyond just, again, the simple pop shapes that seem predictable and repetitive. 
and I should point out, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of the <laughs> best tunes in the world, you know, two, three, four chords. I mean, Hey Jude is really just three chords in the beginning. You know, nothing but that, and it's a perfect song. So there's a lot more to it than just simply, you know, fancy shifting chords, uh, of course. But having said that, the fancy shifting chords are damn cool. And I, yeah, absolutely. I love songs that have that the thing, intricacy. The thing about the, sorry, Eric, the thing about those chords, I guess, is that unlike, say, a guitarist, somebody playing the piano, you mentioned, uh, you know, musical or harmonic knowledge, which undoubtedly someone like Burt Bacharach had, maybe Brian Wilson had in his own off-kilter way. But those are kind of shapes that can be discovered really by novice players as well, and that's yeah. quite key, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. In fact, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about in a bit with 10CC is I think a lot of their compositions uh, probably started that way from just kind of searching. And as mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, with just the slight movement here, slight movement there, let's just see what happens. So they wouldn't necessarily need to know what the name of the chord is. They yeah. just find, ooh, that's cool. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're talking about it, uh, uh, Andy Partridge of XTC comes to mind. Oh, I've read he, loads he of interviews with him. <laughs> oh, I, I love XTC. Yeah. And he talked about how he's not a, 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 a trained musician, uh, uh, quote unquote, but he would love to just find shapes on the neck of his guitar and just, just uh, say, how does this sound with the open string here? What happens if I just move this one finger? And he'd find like these real interesting shapes he had no idea what they're called and then you just maybe move up one fret or two frets and something like the the uh the verse for sentence working overtime was developed that way of just shapes shapes mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 utterly uh, fascinating hey hey the clouds are away the straw for the donkeys and the innocents can all sleep safely all sleep safely incidentally when it comes to 10cc I don't think they did that a lot with their guitar-based material. The guitar-based material sounds fairly straightforward, but I hear it all, all the time with the piano music. Mm-hmm. I, I hear the ones of that sort of searching and the fact that you can have so easily, you know, chord in right hand, uh, separate bass in the left hand, and allowed them to, to yes. kind of explore these new sounds. Yeah, it's, and it's easier, let's face it, it's easier to play those unusual bass notes on a piano, isn't it, than on a guitar? It absolutely is. Guitarists will often, when I'm working with them, they'll often just say, okay, you handle that. I'll just play uh, the highest three strings on my guitar and keep, you know, like an F chord while you play the the G and the bass because for them to try to hit all those notes is not practical. Um, But so looking, I'm sorry, but looking at the uh, 10CC and and how I I hear that, that Brian Wilson influence, uh, even as early as the first album, if you look at a piece like Fresh Air for My Mama, (laughs) Um, it starts off straightforward enough. But when we get to here, think about how similar these sounds are. It's so similar to the Brian Wilson kind of approach. Yeah, I heard. Well, it, know, I heard a God only knows change uh, in the uh, middle there. Yeah, as well fact, as the, sur- the obvious surfs up comparison. The surfs up. We we mentioned that to Graham. Uh, 
obviously he didn't write that song, but he was aware of of that connection connection with Fresh Air from my mama. I, so I heard that the very first time I heard Fresh Air from my mama. Here. I heard. Oh, Surf's so the up. guys have, have have specifically cited Surf's Up yeah. as an influence for that. Okay, again, I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one thing that's kind of might be kind of, of uh, cool for people to hear. We've been talking about how this this opens up the palette. But if I play this bit of Surf's Up again, and I don't play the slash chords and just play the traditional ones, hear how it just becomes bland, you know? Yes. Brother John. This just sounds so ordinary, doesn't it? Yes. Isn't that one example where the bass notes are kind of following one measure behind where you'd expect them to be i can't i can't remember the but it yes, seems they're to like, be like they're kind of out of phase they're aren't out they? of phase it's like a it's like a thread and i uh, hadn't really thought of that but yes, you could make that hang argument. on I should, yeah. you should, brian you should be playing d there and it's a next <laughs> yeah and but he yeah, knows he's kind of swapped them around doesn't he yeah, yeah yeah it's so good it's so so clever <laughs> and another thing that the beach boys did a lot is they would uh, being a key for a section of a song and then make a sudden shift to a new key. This again, this is unusual. Usually if you are going to have uh, a second section, say the bridge of a song being a different key, there's usually some kind of smooth transition, you know. And now we're here in the new key. But yes. Brian Wilson would just say, on a diamond switch uh, for instance there's one in particular I hope I hope you're gonna play it it's my favorite key change uh, well, the one I was going to show first was uh, um, wouldn't it be nice it, it is in uh, F in the beginning section but the next section yeah, I mean, it comes out of nowhere, yeah. and it's just a, a real uh, a sudden shift, but it, it just sounds beautiful. It works so well. Absolutely. Do you know the song Girls on the Beach? For every chorus, there's there's a, a very strange leap from the verse uh, or the pre-chorus into the chorus, but for the mm-hmm. final chorus, you get that strange shift. You're exactly. expecting the normal chorus, but then... It, he changes gear again yes. and goes up a semitone, I think it is, and it's monstrous. As the sun dips out of sight, on the beach at night, the girls on the beach are all Isn't it fantastic? Yeah, I, I, I know that one well. Um, and they would do. He would do that, um, even switching as part of the composition, from phrase to phrase might be yeah. in different keys. Are you hip to uh, this whole world? Oh, good oh, grief! Yeah. Are we? <laughs> there there are nineteen key changes, aren't there? <laughs> yeah. Well, it starts in one key, and then new key, new key. It does that three or four times as part of the actual composition. Yeah. And I think 10CC took those, those elements, the idea of, of shifting, searching, small changes in the left and right hand, and the idea of changing key suddenly, and they 
ran with it. Mm. Um, Can you give the, us some the, examples of that, Eric? Oh, absolutely. Um, but here's here's the thing. When Brian Wilson did it, there was always this smoothness. He tended to use what I would call sympathetic keys from one to the the next, whereas you might have uh, several common tones within the scale. So you may not even realize that you're shifting key because they just sound so smooth. Mm. Well, I think 10CC kind of said, Screw that. Let's just go ahead <laughs> and just see. Let's just just to throw it against the wall and see if we like it. So, uh, gosh, something like "Brand New Day" starts here. Okay, safe enough. Sounds fine. Okay, but here, what's going on? And then another shift. We end here, but guys, we started here. <laughs> How in the world did we get from here at the start to here at the end? This is just not done. It's I mean, outrageous, hey, isn't it? But it's it's weird that for a casual casual listener or um, someone who's just enjoys a good tune, you don't you don't realize that that's happening because if there's if there's a beautiful melody over the top of this stuff mm-hmm. that that's the key isn't it if if the melody was ridiculously kind of random you'd think oh god yeah. it's just it, this is a jigsaw puzzle that's just been chucked in the air and put back together but if the melody writing is so fabulous and and i guess we're going to have to credit both lol and kevin there aren't we it, well, that's the, a very the melody interesting ha- point is, yeah I'd like yeah. to jump in there because yeah, the, the, the previous examples you've given, like Brian Wilson, Bert Bacharach and so forth, these people were composing the melody and chords, at least, on their own. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I mean, this is a godly cream composition. It, the, the piano part, therefore the chords, must have been written by Lowell. We know that because Kevin didn't play a chordal instrument. But if this is a true joint composition, and we assume it, it is like most of them were, how on earth do they do that? How does one guy find notes to go with what the other guy is is playing? It may be that is you know they are so sympathetic to each other that they've got this kind of unconscious understanding. That's interesting, mm. I think. Wouldn't it be great to have been a fly on the wall oh, and just sort God, of like yeah. witness? Because you're right. I'm I'm not sure how the the process worked for them. From what I've read, I I know that. Oftentimes, Lowell would just kind of noodle on things, and Kevin might improvise a melody on top. Yeah. Uh, but then Kevin might lead with a, a you know, a subsequent phrase melodically, and then Lowell tries to find the supporting harmonies. I'm not sure. That's right. And, and, and then maybe Kevin might might go to a an unusual note in the yeah. me- a melody, and then Lowell could could go around the chords until he he found chords found with a, with a common tone in there. Yeah. yeah. But I absolutely agree with you, and this is the thing that's the secret ingredient that I think a lot of young composers don't don't realize, that you've got to have a, a, a good, memorable melody uh, to, to tie it in together. Uh, otherwise, it, you're right, it just kind of sounds random, and there's all kinds of harmonically complex music 
that I don't like just because I don't find the warmth of that that connecting tissue, that, yes. that melody. Um, but I just have to stress how unusual it is to start here and end there. Even when it is done so cleverly, it's just not done, guys. <laughs> and they don't stop there. Once they get to this part, a brand new section shifts again. That comes out of nowhere, and then you get... Yeah. And then it That's goes really someplace shifting. again. Just, I mean, it's just like, what's going on? But another thing I think that helps to tie it together, guys, is that they do repeat sections, and they will do variations on these repeats, and they will do developments uh, of these, these ideas. So right. that also tends to, to unify things. It's not just, okay, A leads to B leads to C leads to D. They come back again, and, and they repeat and, and develop these ideas. So it does sound like a very satisfying, uh, uh, cohesive piece, like, like Brand New Day, yes. or even you know, uh, somewhere in Hollywood or Don't Hang Up. They all kind of have that, that cohesion in my mind, even though there are all these, these separate uh, uh, sections. Yes. No, no, it was good, really wonderful to hear, the, to hear the chords there, Eric, because... Um, I always thought of Brand New Day, never really thought about the chords of it as, as a sort of flowing piece. But hearing it there, it's almost as the cuts are almost as extreme as something like, say, the Dean and I. But because the, the feel between those uh, parts of the song maybe isn't as disparate. It doesn't. It doesn't sound as extreme as something like the Dean and I. And maybe Paul, that, that, maybe that's because the arrangement of brand new day is as i think we mentioned last time eric is very distinctive isn't it you've got the you've got that kind of octave higher electric piano yes. going going through your leslie uh, wheel yes um, yeah. and you've got recognizable sounds um and, and things like those beautiful sort of pizzicato cello and, and violin that, that that kevin and lola playing themselves i think are it, they actually hang- playing though they are oh. yeah um, i thought it was a moog bass the uh it, it is, that, that, but, the, but, the, but there's, the, the, there's the kind of a plink, 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 which is on oh, you're right. r- real, yes, real yes, strings. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it, what I'm saying is, is that the arrangement, perhaps, Paul, is, is making it all hang together. Yes, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt, there, because they, of course, you know, sort of today we're focusing on some of these unique you know, progressions and things, but gosh, we could do uh, <laughs> hours on just how clever they were as arrangers and, and how they, uh, the, the, the instruments were, were, were voiced and the combinations no. of instruments was fascinating. Don't tell and of me. course, their, their, their vocal harmonies, yeah. all of those things are all part of just that special sauce that, that made them that fantastic. Uh, talking about these sudden shifts, you know what my favorite one is? <laughs> the one on. that comes out of nowhere is in uh, Don't Hang Up. The surprise, surprise, there's a hell of a well in your eyes. Uh, when the bombman said, what you drinking? I said, marriage on the Oh, that is a shift. Yeah, yeah. It comes out of nowhere, and again, so much of it has to do with the way Kevin sings that. It's just gorgeous, that high note he gets at the end. Yes. But that's also so unusual harmonically, just to make that sudden 
shift, but he ends the one phrase, you know, mm. it overlaps, and so it helps to connect and, and melodically. It just is a, a, a gorgeous little... Oh, wonderful. Anyway, that's that, one that's of, just, one just one. out of interest there, Eric, what, what, what key does it go from and into? Well, we're kind of in the key of F. It's implied. There's F, but we have this... So we're, it's, it's implied that we're in the key of F. Yes. Okay, and then we go up to what appears to be—it's—it's it's a little ambiguous, but I would say probably F sharp minor would be the the, the way. So you're okay. just kind of going from you know here to that to that tonality, and it's just—I uh, don't know why. I mean, this is the great thing about this. If uh, if it's good music, it's going to hit you emotionally. So. This is another pet peeve of mine when people talk about, well, gosh, if you analyze something, doesn't that take the, the beauty out of it? And no, I, gosh, I, I, no, I, it doesn't. <laughs> I'd be content to, you know, uh, just listen to my records all day, all night with goosebumps <laughs> up and down my arm. It still moves me tremendously. Uh, it just helps with the appreciation. Well, and of course, it's practical because me as a musician, I have to know the nuts and bolts of this stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doesn't matter how well I know it. If if I find something, you know, moving, it's going to move me time and time again. Even if mm-hmm. I do know uh, how it's constructed. It don't hang up. I think works specifically at that point because, of course, we're going back to the opening material, aren't we? So it's, although it's a, it's a radical change, we're suddenly reprising uh, the earlier scene almost mm. in a filmic way, and that's why a it's lovely such point. a, a yeah, ma- point, of ma- point yeah, of magic. Yeah, exactly, Paul, and that's sort of what I was uh, talking about with Brand New Day, is they did that so well. They were able to kind of do... So we had traditional forms in a lot of cases where you would have, and dare I be as pretentious to say uh, even some classical forms where you will have the presentation the exposition the development mm-hmm. we go into new territory yeah. you know leave me alone da, ba, 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 you know new section and then yeah. we have the recapitulation we come back to what we've done often augmented or modified to make it for a very um, satisfying uh, emotional uh, journey so they were aware of these things they they either you know at a uh, surface level or or uh, unconsciously, but but uh, their pieces had this kind of form that was very satisfying and r- rooted in tradition. Absolutely, and and add on top of that a kind of a, a we've talked Paul and I've talked about this many many times, but a filmic sense of going from scene to scene, and and mm-hmm. and and those kind of sudden those sudden key changes fit with what Paul and I have called like a hard cut. From one scene yeah. to another, where the colours are different, um, the action's different, the pace is different, and that that is an incredibly cinematic approach. I think it is, uh, and that we haven't really talked about it. But you're right; like all those things, a lot of times they would not only change the tempo and the feel, but you know, they, it would just be on a dime that they would make these changes. And yeah. that you're right; that's very cinematic. That's something that you would expect, um, you know, a, a film composer if he's scoring a film to have those kind of chops to change as things change visually on the screen. Totally, I, I mean, hear that. Listen for to sure. something like uh, this: Sporting Life, which I adore. Uh, yeah. has got so many of those scene changes that are matched, mm. matched with changes in key, tempo, yeah. textures and everything. You know, it's marvellous And of course, work. they come back to the big opening section at the end. Yes. You know, yes. and, and it's, it's, it's a, it brings it on home. Yeah. 
Um, what's funny about this, though, is you would think we're talking an awful lot about Godly and Cream tunes. You would think that, okay, yeah. well, that's just the, you know, the, 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 the weird progressive duo that's doing this sort of thing. But even in the hits, there would be some stuff that I find quite subversive uh, musically, like, <laughs> like Mandy. You know, we start here in one key, and we're setting up this beautiful, what sounds like a ballad, and then all of a sudden, a yeah. huge shift. And why that is so startling is because it's going from E flat down a half step to D. These are not compatible keys. Yeah. And it just sounds so strange if you think about it and if I slow it down and, and exaggerate it, you know, to go from here and then just really lay on the D chord. It just yeah. is, is so strange. What would other artists have done? Well, they would have kept that beginning in the same bloody keys. You would have had it. <laughs> yes. So now I'm in D, and I'll play that again. And now I'll move on. Now it's smooth yeah. as can be. Wow, yeah. And, and you, don't get, the drama, you don't get the drama of into the guitar <laughs> line, do you? Yeah. Wow. But that it, that is really subversive stuff. I mean, if if they would have presented that to some, you know, songwriting academic, they would have thrown them out of the room to say, "No, you can't do that. You you have to the introduction has to be." So, I've got I'm thinking, how did they do that? Where did that come from? Well, you might say, "Well, that's the bit that happens later on." Um, the world was spinning like a ball. You know, it's the same bit. But that's in a different key yet. That's an E. <laughs> The world was spinning like a ball. And so they can't, you can't use that argument that they just grabbed that from you know, later in the song and, and stuck it in. They consciously said, this is the right key for this to, to happen. So yeah, I think you're right, it's a drama. They wanted to kind of establish that and maybe just for a, a bit of unease, like, you know, ooh, what's coming up, you know? Yes. And by the way, they, the, most of the song is in, in D, but even then, it takes us a while to kind of get there because they move to C. And now we're in D for the long haul, so to speak. So again, clever stuff that you wouldn't uh, really hear in, in pop songs, let alone ones that, that make the charts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting that the last two songs we've talked about in detail are I'm Mandy and Don't Hang Up because Sean and I noticed a a deep structural similarity between those two songs on How Dare You. Mm -hmm. They both have twice round the main section, the A section, if you like. Then they go off on this large journey with multi-part sections. Then they have, I don't know what you'd call it, not a pre-chorus because it's not a pre-chorus, but it's another slow um, section, which which is... um, uh, not as dominant as the main bit, but it's, you know, I saw her walk, walking on the water yeah. uh, and surprise, surprise, there's a hell of a look in your eyes, which then eventually folds back into a recapitulation of, of the A. The yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like the end of Act 2 of a film, isn't it? Yeah. yeah Before we, we you get both, to Act 3. We were very mm-hmm. surprised at that, um, at that similarity, and yeah. it's interesting, of course, that they are... Um, broadly, Godly and Cream and Stuart Goldman compositions. So even at that late stage, maybe I'm reading something into it which isn't there, but there seems to be the influence all the time about 
you know, the four of them uh, feeding off each other. Yeah, definitely. And, and, yeah. and both both songs, of course, Paul, cut sharply to an up-tempo, strange section. <sighs> yes. Don't they? Yeah, that's... Yeah. That, that's yes. I'm Mandy that's being, right. you know, my probably the most dramatic uh, moment in the whole 10cc canon, isn't it? When we get that 6-4, that incredible yeah. tempo and those those incredible overdubbed acoustic guitars of Graham. Isn't that great? Uh, it's yeah, just amazing. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And that was, the, that, that was the part, of course, that Kevin insisted on, I think he described it in technical terms musically as fucking it up, didn't he? So yes. that, because it was, it was too, it was too uh, straightforward before too, the ballad, yeah, the ballad yeah. bit. And then I think it was his idea to kind of add these these different parts in as well as revising some of the lyrics and thank goodness um, and thank goodness he did because it, it's an uh, extraordinary section all four of them playing to their strengths uh, it's, yes. it's fabulous I, and that's that's why it works so well gosh those that that push and pull and the uh just the input from all four of them it just was a, a magical quartet it just uh i, I love it <laughs> But you know, even on stuff that's even more commercial, like uh, Things We Do For Love, that also has yes. got a very sudden and unusual change. The intro is in D, but the body of the song is here. You have, you know, and I'll speed it up, and we have this transitional chord, and it moves up, but actually our key has moved down a half step. And then we're in this for the majority of the song. Of course, they get that from the, the bridge section. But I think that's just so clever and so smooth. Brian Wilson would have been, I think, pleased with that one because that one is, you don't, you don't really hear you know, the, the, the seams of the construction. You just kind of like go from this to that very smoothly. Yeah. No, we absolutely. do have a bit of history on the way that was constructed, of course, which is that Graham wrote the intro and bolted that onto Eric's song. So it could be that that was a kind of a Goldman bit, uh, which was then kind of welded onto Eric's song. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes, that, that's right. So um, that, that. And that's kind you know, of. That's sort of Beatlesque, isn't it? You would hear reports of Paul uh, having a, a, a part worked on independently that, from John, and then they would piece them together. Um, gosh, yes. uh, uh, with a day, a, a day in the life, yeah, exactly being the exemplar there for sure. Or, but, or uh, I've got a feeling, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah, that they just be yeah. uh, ha happy accidents, I suppose. And, and you know, it's funny, going back to Andy Partridge, yeah, I hear him talking about this all the time, even though he wouldn't co collaborate with somebody, he would sort of had these little ideas and years and years later he would come back to something he didn't finish and find oh I can piece this together with something I did yeah. 10 years ago um, so I guess the lesson for that is for composers never to throw away anything you just kind of keep the little ideas and bits you never know you know how it can ultimately uh, be fused with something down the line that, that's right. Absolutely. There doesn't seem to be much evidence I don't know whether we, in fact whether there isn't but um, we don't see a lot of 10cc reusing old pieces generally do we uh, and sort of and bringing them back maybe in a few instances I'm, I'm hot, hot legs into fresh air type of thing <gasps> yes but that's oh, the yeah. exception rather yeah. than the rule and, and from a different band i'm thinking within cry of course is the classic example i suppose 
That, but I've heard yeah. you guys mention two. Weren't they in the habit of kind of like working on one song at a time until yeah. completion? Yeah. Yes, that's right. And so I suppose if you kind of take that attitude that this is a good kernel of an idea, and if we stay with it, then you wouldn't have a lot of leftovers. No. Yeah. I think that's that's. Uh, I don't know if other bands do that process of just focusing uh, entirely on one song and completing it before moving to the next. It must take incredible discipline, and it really does. It does pay dividends in the case of Ten CC. The only other band mm. that I know for a fact did that uh, was ABBA. Mm they would work exclusively on one song before moving on to the next. But, but, I don't know whether you guys know of any other bands which do that, because it seems un- unusual. I don't really. But Isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think what we get from that, and, and it's interesting that we don't really get it from ABBA, but what we get with 10CC is that every song inhabits its own universe that's created for that two days that they kind of, yeah. you know, they, they pour everything into that tune. And then yeah. mm-hmm. um, they stick it in a box and, and put it in the cupboard. It's done. Um, and then they, they they seem to approach each new project, each new song, with a completely different head on. And it gives us yeah. th- that wonderful, eclectic canon of work, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas ABBA did, and I, and I love I love what they did, uh, they did have more of a formulaic approach, Paul, didn't yeah, they? Agreed. Album, agreed yeah. album per album, each of the tracks... Had sonically belonged together, although uh, that mm. might that might necessarily be because it was the same two composers. Mm. Uh, whereas here you had different combinations, and then even the ones who weren't actively writing the song were completely invested in that in that little frame of reference for that for that time yes. in the yeah. in the current song, and then moved on to the next, bringing it to life. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Um, I was reminded uh, a little bit earlier, Eric, of uh, based on what you were saying about this isn't all about Kevin and, and Lowell. Uh, there's a, but a lot of tomfoolery going on with, with Eric and Graham's writing, uh, <laughs> and it's wonderful. Uh, having spoken to Graham a few times now, it's very, very clear that his use of chords and harmonic structure and melody is deliciously off-kilter, isn't it? In many, many, mm-hmm. many examples. And Paul, do you remember he got the guitar out and he amazed us with what he was um he was twisting with his left hand and with his thumb, um, adding in <laughs> adding in cheeky, unexpected bass notes. He was doing <laughs> it all, those bass notes yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I think all four of them, particularly Graham and Lowell, were doing that all the time. Can you spot any any Graham Goldman examples, Eric? Yeah. In fact, um, it's funny, sometimes I'll kind of hear uh, some device that would be done by one of them, and then it might be echoed by another. Um, for instance, this is one thing we're going to talk about when we get to the idea of the, the use of, of chromatic passages. Yes. And it's, there's an unusual thing where not only would they use individual notes? Uh, it, again, cr- chromaticism is the idea of just moving up or down by semitones, you know, one note at a time, whether it's black or white on the piano or up the smallest, uh, uh, the smallest in, jump that frets. you can have, yeah. Exactly. But they would also do that with chords. Uh, so if you have a, a piece like uh, Silly Love, 
which that's Eric and Lol, isn't it? The composers. Yeah. Here they have a section that only uses one type of chord, and that is a major six, a very bright sound. And they're only using that one chord. And the reason I chose that because it, it is chromatic, that they're using uh, chords, but these are just moving down. Ah, so this is very similar to, to um, Lol Cream's claw method on, like, <laughs> on, on One Night in Paris, where he goes... This would be the guitar equivalent, because of yeah. course you can have one yeah. shape yeah, of, a, just, of a, yeah, a major yeah. six-line guitar. Slide Piano slide is, down. Piano, it's actually pretty tricky because you're going in and out of the black notes. Yeah. You know, it's not easy uh, uh, piano-wise if it was all white notes. But so this one has bits where they use uh, chromaticism on a single type of chord. But here's the thing I was going to get to. Graham does that exact same device for the entire middle section of uh, Iceberg. This is only major sixths. And he does a chromatic thing. Up we go. Yeah. But these are all one type of chord, that same chord that we heard in Silly Love. So there is one where maybe he picked that up from the middle section of that tune. And that's a really cool and unusual bit. It's, it's, it's hard to construct an entire you know, transition or, you know, the two, four measure transition based entirely on a, a single type of chord moving, you know, to and fro. That's, but they that's did a, it a wonderful, that same chord. wonderful observation. Would you agree with me that Iceberg is harmonically the most complex 10cc song? Or is that well, just my, part, is, is that just my impression based on how many yeah, chords I there would, are? I would think, it, well, it's the one that has the most uh, traditional jazz components. Like, for instance, with the, the Kevin bit, you know, Iceberg, that's very jazzy. That's a minor seven flat five, you yeah. know, to a, uh, we talked about our two five ones last time. It says minor <laughs> yeah. two five one. That's very, very, very much steeped in jazz. So I think it was a question of Graham pulling out his jazz uh, guitar chops mm-hmm. and just saying, you know, I got class. You know, that sort of thing is, is very much steeped in jazz. And so... So yes, I would say in that regard, uh, and the course, as usual, the uh, the application of it is quite original, hmm. but it's very much one that there's an awful lot of, of jazzisms uh, involved in the, in the piece, and a wide variety of chords uh, and more chromaticism. Sloppy seconds, yes. just moving down the same chord uh, chromatically. So yeah, I think there's a, a, a good argument that it's the most harmonically complex only because of that jazz connection and the fact yeah. that you do hear ones. Because they shied away from that in general. They weren't going to do things. But this one, again, they were trying to do a bit of a pastiche. I think they just mm-hmm. kind of said this is going to be, it's meant to be jazzy. And the, again, they made it their own by the the, the lyrics involved mm-hmm. in the subject matter. Yeah, spook, um, yeah. spooky jazz. Spooky jazz, yeah, yeah. but I, I I love it. I love the, the the sound of that, and I think it's 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 marvelous. Me too. And, and speaking of which, it wasn't it lovely to see Graham in black and white doing a a, a kind of jazz combo, four of him, 
in that lovely version of Misty. Have you seen that as well, Eric? I haven't seen it yet, guys. Oh, yeah, it's really lovely. And, yeah. and Graham's playing is beautiful on it, actually. Very subtle and extremely jazzy on uh, mm. on a, a very authentic guitar, which has just got the most fabulous kind of George Benson-y sound. It's marvellous. Oh, like a semi-hollow yeah, exactly. guitar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I'll definitely look that up. Well, based on, of course, it's that song alone. You know that he has those those jazz guitar chops. That 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 that's just you, you can't really pull that out. It's got to be something that you're, it's in your fingers. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. But so I kind of see the, uh, those sort of connections and how one concept or idea might uh, be picked up by another. Or as you said, it maybe it was a suggestion that someone would say, "Why not try this at this point?" You know, even if they're not the composer, they might just be uh, helping with the uh, arranging. Mm. Um, so yeah. It, it, this kind of gives you a, a nice overview of, of things, but they, they found other uh, clever, creative ways of having simple harmonies and getting the most out of them, uh, one of which is something that I've heard you guys talk about before, and that's the idea of, of a pedal point or a pedal bass, of having the bass. And I should you know, specify, too, that when we're talking about bass, Pretty much, you can mean the instruments, the, the bass, uh, coupled with the left hand of the piano. They yes. almost always are done together. Um, but just for a more specific thing, you could say the lowest pitch would be, you know, the, what the bass is doing. Yeah. And the idea here is to have it just be steady while the chords move about. So you get just these interesting uh, sounds. It's akin to our slash chords because in essence, as soon as you move away from that root note, you are creating a slash chord, but it's done for a more prolonged uh, segment. Uh, some examples, um, gosh, I could probably just I'm stick with- I'm not in love with, is probably one of the key ones, well, isn't it? That one's, yeah, the beginning of that stays on that B while it moves. But uh, even more so, something like Wall Street Shuffle, I can find three or four examples of the pedal point used in this one. The, uh, you need a yen to make your mark if you want to moon, that doesn't change. It doesn't change for any of that. Moving on with the song, when you have the, oh, Howard Hughes, you better again four chords but that doesn't change and yeah. again in the song uh the wind up on skid row with holes in their pocket just stays on the same left hand wow, okay. while chords move and to a lesser extent even the code at the end You can almost hear the tension sort of ramping up in some of those sections, can't you? Because you can, you can almost like a dial, you can twist the tension by moving the right hand further and further away from where the left hand would, would normally yeah, be. Yeah, and the, can, the left hand also right. adds a darkness as well, I think, when, when, when you stay yeah. on a bass note. Very illustrative it, it, of the subject matter yeah, in that song. Yeah, definitely. Really. Yeah, you're right, and and what's funny too is it can also be very very sweet. Uh, mm -hmm. The intro to Old, Old Wild Men. Mm 
haven't changed my left hand for that entire yeah. section. Yeah. You know. It's it sounds very church-like that section. It does. Yeah, it's very, very uh, uh, hymn-like. Um, and again, the reason for that is it's what we would call diatonic. It stays using the notes that are within a, a, a certain scale without shifting to the the, the weirdness that <laughs> happens in so many of their pieces. Talking um, of talking so, of weirdness, Eric, is it is it because um, we're we're kind of we're approaching our sort of our end point might this be an appropriate kind of pivot point to to introduce you know what oh yes indeed you're referring cryptically to Lowell's magic chord as we've dubbed (laughs) it I'm so excited about this well this is such a silly, geeky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned that in spite of the fact that they're so creative in their use of harmony, um, the individual chords being used tended to be steeped in tradition. They, they, they didn't come out of nowhere. Um, so the, the very clever application of them. Uh, so that's why every once in a while when I would hear a chord that was really unusual, oop, you know, I'd, I'd pay attention um, and I, I'd be curious about it. And I'm not sure when it happened, but as I was collecting the 10cc records, I started to hear, you know, a certain chord that I thought, oh, that's really neat. And, I, and I, then I, I heard it again on a different tune, a different album. And then I would hear it again on a different tune, a different album. And suddenly I thought, wow, that is so cool. They just have this, this pet chord that they keep coming back to. Um, this is the sound of it. You see, I, I, can I'll, taste, I'll, I can taste about a dozen tunes just from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about what that chord is, but, but it, it's so weird because I, I listen to... Uh, gosh, sheet music, and it would pop up with uh, lights, camera, sound, roll along. And then the, I had a part in the talkies. That's when I first heard it. Okay. <laughs> you were a little yes. girl. Da, 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 da. And there it is. You go to the next album, original soundtrack, and there it is in Brand New Day. Uh, bum, bum. Okay. Now, what's weird about this chord is you can say, all right, I can see how a musician would have a favorite type of chord that they would use. But with with 10cc, it wasn't this type of chord. It was this particular chord. It was always in this shape. It wasn't lower. It wasn't higher. It was always here. And it didn't matter what key we were in, suddenly we would jump to it and it'd be like, whoa, that is wild. Go to the next album, um, How Dare You, the end of Lazy Ways. Um, Lazy Ways. <laughs> there it is again. And we're, we have come from here and it just pops out of nowhere. Now, if that wasn't enough, I start listening to Godly and Cream pick up consequences. <gasps> Guess what? There it is again. <laughs> You know, yeah. and it's just like, oh my goodness, uh, five o'clock in the morning. And the day shift in. And we stay on this one for yes. a goodly there amount of time. This is one of my favorite moments in yeah. the entire catalog. Yeah. 
And then there's all kinds of little short, more subtle usages of it. But those, I think, are the, 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 the biggies. And it just amuses the hell out of me. I guess mm. Lowell just found that he likes the sound of it. But it's just so strange that it doesn't matter, again, what the key is. He just found that no matter where he's coming from and where he's going to in the song, it just pops up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like people always using Marmite or Worcester sauce. <laughs> In every recipe they make, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both this delicious, is, this is the by the way. The, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> but isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. So anyway, it's just a silly uh, thing that, that I, I, for years and years and years, I've just been aware of it. And I would, every time it popped up, I would just uh, smile. What it is specifically and why it's unusual, it's a slash chord again. It's an F sharp major. It's a major chord, very ordinary. Yeah. But the bass note is not one of the notes that is, that's in the chord. It's a B. So we call that F sharp over B, F sharp slash B. And you can hear the clash between some of the notes in it. And that's why it works. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's not. Uh, it, it's often used as a uh, a substitute for a more jazzy chord. If I add a fourth note, now it's what we call a major nine, and it's a very traditional chord. But when we and that major third is a very defining tone. If I take it out, now it sounds kind of ambiguous and hollow. Um, but it's not without precedent. As you might imagine, I found some examples of Beach Boys using it. Oh, okay. um, you know, the, um, the other part of Surf's Up. That's it. That's, that's that chord. It's right there. And... Another example, it's, it's rare in pop music, but there's our, one song. Does our prayer, that, does our prayer have that? It could I can, vary. I can that, that's so dense harmonically. That, that is yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know how they did that without reference on the piano. Because I've heard the smile sessions where they're rehearsing that, yeah. and there's oh, no yeah. piano. I'm going, what in the, how can you do that? Yeah, they've got they're, no uh, piano, but they've got acid, <laughs> which seem to do and, the trick. <laughs> but you know what's also amazing? On those sessions, you know, uh, you, 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 uh, Brian will say, no, Mike, it's this. Da, 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 da. And instantly he can give the each individual part for them, yeah. you yeah. know, because he's got all that in his head. Oh, my gosh, what a genius. Um, but <laughs> yes. anyway, I, I, and there's a borderline one, too, which I mentioned before about... Uh, 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 wouldn't it be nice... Uh, maybe if now I say it's borderline because I think I can hear the piano adding another note at some times. The the chord in its purest form is Steely Dan, Josie. They use that incredibly frequently. You know, break out the hands and noodles. Josie comes home to stay. We're going. Yes. Those are all the chord. Yeah, and then they keep doing it. <laughs> Throw out the jams till the girls say three more. And then, then two more. And another one. And Josie comes home. You know, it's, it's just amazing. That's the only song I can think of that uses that chord as frequently oh. as, as they do on, on that one. And that's, a very, that's a very low cream trick, isn't it? You use that same kind of chord um, in, in different keys, whether yeah. it's... Um, whether it's chromatically or whatever. How fascinating. I was going to say, do you think, Eric, that 
Kevin knew about this chord because he was the one maybe finding the notes. Do you think Lowell just slipped it in surreptitiously or he said, oh, you're doing that well, chord again? It's I'd funny love to because know. Uh, the, the, the key sometimes is the melody because there are yeah. times when the melody is only hitting notes in that chord. Here right. I am. That's outlining yes. the chord. Yeah. Yes, but other times, other times, though, they do add, like, for instance, going back to uh, somewhere in Hollywood, I had a part in the talkies. That's a major third. So it suddenly sounds more like that jazz chord I talked about. But Lowell okay. doesn't change. He's still playing, you know, that. So yeah, who knows? It could be it could be any number of those things. But what's clear is once that Lowell got it into his fingers, he loved the sound of it and yeah. came back. Now, full disclosure, I have heard a couple of very minor examples of it up a step, but nothing like the, as prominent as we hear here. And also, I should point out that their context is everything. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the way they're using this chord, but actually, there's another uh, usage of this chord that's very, very, very common, and that's when it's used as part of a cliché uh, chordal movement. That sounds pretty ordinary, doesn't it? Cliché, yeah. but that second chord is it. But we're not isolating it. Uh, think of ELO. Yeah. Can't okay. get it out of my head, that one? Yeah. The, exactly. The second and the fourth chord is our low chord. But again, context is everything. And in, in fact, our boys use the easy, the common way a lot. Fresher from my mama, if I, if I just kind of play the solid chords, there it is again. Uh, things that we already talked about. Uh, oh, Howard Hughes. There it is again. But we don't hear it the same way because the context is part of a cliche pedal point progression. Right, right. Yeah, and, and so that's the interesting thing about it is my talking about it is using it as a standalone kind of stationary resting point. Yeah, like a where punctuation it sounds more like point. A, yeah, it's, it's not part of that cliche line. Uh, that's the fascinating thing about harmony is, is the, the context makes a, a, a big deal about how we, we perceive it and, of course, where it fits in. But that's what's so funny about that darn chord is it just <laughs> pops up no matter what came before it or what came after. It's just there, and I love it. And you can't quite put your finger on it at I thought, well, okay, F sharp over B. If they had moved it up a half step, what do we have? G over C. They lost a, a, a chance to brand it. Godly cream. <laughs> G over C. You know, so it could have been wow. like this great branding chord, you know, but the, the, but they said they, they moved it down a half step. That oh, is fabulous. Eric, what, what an absolute pleasure that was. And the, honestly, the, the, the Low Magic Chord has got me grinning ear to ear. Um, oh, and, yeah. Uh, you it's, sent, it's us, you sent us that wonderful stitched together Frankenstein monster <laughs> of, uh, yeah. uh, of as many of, of the magic chords as you could find. And it, right, and but isolating so that you're only hearing that chord for the, yeah. you know, the duration of the Do we have, your, do we it, have yeah. your permission to stick that at the end of this poll? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think people get a kick out of it. And you'll hear other small examples of, of it being used. Um, yeah, and 
I, I just to, to probably wind things up, um, the question might be is, is how unique is all of this? Like what were their contemporaries doing mm. during the same period? Well, I think one thing is clear. There was something in the air during the early 70s. Like some of my favorite music comes from that period and, and the pop music from yeah. Queen and ELO and Elton John, uh, Supertramp, just marvelous stuff. And I think all these bands would use pretty much all of these techniques. The, uh, you, know, you hear that kind of rapid uh, shifting in music, but the one thing that I found uh, remarkable is that they, I couldn't think of too many examples where there would be these big sudden shifts either within uh, phrases or from section to section. Um, gosh, I mean, Queen was, was wonderful. At just different colors, uh, but again, just sort of uh, done in a more, dare I say, you know, traditional way. Maybe Supertramp got closer. There, this kind of searching uh, uh, logical song. Move one hand, keep the other the yeah. same. And they also loved the pedal point. There are times when all the world. Yes. You know. Yeah, certainly so, songs like Crime of the Century has some of that going on, I think. It, it does. And I think, again, there was something in the air because these bands tended to be, on the whole, more adventurous harmonically than what you would find uh, later. Possibly, and Paul might agree with me here, I, for me, maybe the most adventurous pop writer of that era was Tony Banks. Paul, what do you think? Oh, so, certainly one of them. From, uh, can you play further? What? Fifth? <laughs> I knew you could. Well, you don't there have you any go. argument from me because I love Tony Banks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, totally wonderful, amazing, surely. Yeah. Tony Banks. Well, uh, amongst many, of course, Tony's brilliant. But we mustn't forget that also that the listeners were more receptive to more adventurous types of music somehow mm. i mean i'm mandy fly me that we talked about was a number six hit single and uh, bohemian rhapsody was a number one hit single and um it seemed uh, the 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 listening public would ex- more than accept they loved this type of music so yeah, i'd like yeah. i'd like to ask you eric why do you think it went away I don't know. Uh, one thing is clear, though, when you look at like the histories of musics, you see that natural kind of, you know, beginning, the rise, the maturity, and then the decline. This is why, in say classical music, you know, after uh, Mozart, Beethoven, there was the reaction with the uh, Romantic era, where they tried to have, you know, break away from some of the, st- the stricter harmonic rules. Then you mm-hmm. got to the point at the end of that century where they were just saying, "Screw it, tonality is dead," and they introduce atonal, twelve-tone music, and you know, Schoenberg mm-hmm, and Stravinsky mm-hmm. and such. And so it's just kind of like you don't want to repeat what's done before. Right. Uh, and jazz, the same thing. I think that, that jazz kind of hit uh, a peak in terms of its harmonic complexity while still being accessible, like in the 60s, with Herbie and, and Chick Corea using more uh, voicings based on fourths and things, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to the, the prettier stuff that, say, Bill Evans would do, which would be, you know... 
more of these kind of lush sounds. Um, so I, I guess, you, you know, you have to say that with, with uh, uh, pop music, there was that reaction. I mean, look at, uh, at what happened when progressive rock got to be too much and then the punk era comes in a new way. I was going to say exactly this. And then, you right, know, we've got a, a, an interesting story happened last week on the pod, Eric. Um, it, it hasn't been heard by people yet, but there's a, a, a wonderful story where Rick Fenn encounters... Uh, Johnny Rotten backstage, and I think I think that may have been. It, it, I think the whole universe revolves around that moment. That you know that that kind of nucleus of a moment where we, we've got prog rock meets punk, matter yeah. meets antimatter, and I think it, Paul, in answer to your question, I think that's when it just went pop. That, that's yeah, as good an answer I, I don't know. As, I, as any. Yeah. And gosh, you could also say, oh, well, we're older fuddy-duddies, and it wasn't like no. back in our day. But you know what's funny is just for years as I've taught piano, I would have like high school kids come in, and what were they wanting to play? Elton John, Pink Floyd, yeah. the Beatles. Yeah. And yeah. you yeah. Know, I would ask, I'd say, you know, why do you want to do this? And they would say, well, today's music sucks. <laughs> yeah. they, they, so a lot of them just recognize that there's this kind of formulaic and of course too you lose the the interesting unique sound of individual studios it's all done you know in a, in a computer box and mm. with plugins and such so uh, mm. you don't have that same kind of sonic signature and there wasn't that sense of adventure you put on an elton john record and every song like i talked about with 10cc every song will have a different feel to it a different character it yeah. won't mm. be just like uh, you know, like whatever. Uh, it, well, this is going back a little way still, but you know, Dave Matthews or Sarah McLaughlin with the same tempo from beginning to end. You know, within you, you, it's it's the variety, it's the musicianship, it's the sense of adventure, it's the sense that um, they're trying to do not repeat what's been done before. Mm. And yeah, unfortunately, we have lost a, a lot of that, um, and partly because the. In, in the mid '70s, once the studio or the uh, um, record companies realized, hey, there's money to be made. We can make this a commodity. We can make this a product. They started to weigh in more about the content. Whereas, of course, we had that golden window where the artists were encouraged to do what, what they wanted to do yeah. and were encouraged to be different. Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull talks about this all the time. That mm. there was, they were given permission by Chrysalis to to, you know, to explore, and they realized. We don't sound anything like Yes. They're doing their own thing. We don't sound like King Crimson. You know, all these bands had their own unique. Uh, and you mentioned Genesis, and Genesis had their own unique sound and, yeah. and approach. But the one thing in common is that they were left alone, and they were striving for something new, and and found uh, just a, a magic period where that was encouraged by the record companies, and they can actually uh, sell the the records and make an impact. Well said. Right. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, we're so grateful for that. Um, Eric, we'd love to uh, have you over here, um, hopefully next year, um, to, to uh, I don't know, imbibe the, the whole ethos of, of the UK. <laughs> it sounds like your record, your record collection has a lot more British artists in than American. It, it does. I, I joked years ago that it said, like, gosh, I, it seemed like my biggest influences were just English youth in their 20s. <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> the Beatles, I, the, you know, and then in the progressive stuff at Elton, they, they make all this great music and they were <laughs> all British and all in their 20s. So, oh yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of, uh, of that, that scene and it continues to delight as we, I mean, this past year as we've talked about with the, the, the Liam Newton book the, uh, and your podcast of being able to revisit uh, this and, and get new insight and to recognize that there are other people who feel um, that as as warmly you know, towards this music as as I do? Yeah. Because you know, like you know, prior to the internet, it was somewhat of a solitary endeavor. I'd have my recordings mm-hmm. and try to share it with people, but often not with necessarily uh, immediate success in terms of. Uh, you know, turning them on. To no, that's it. And, and so, occasionally, yeah. occasionally you'd find a badly photocopied fanzine, wouldn't you? And that that would be your only connection with the outside world. Like, oh, and, my God, <laughs> someone else knows about this. But I'm so, amazed. Doesn't it seem like you, you, you also, though, somehow got the skinny that, that I, I'm amazed that, that there were loads of times when I knew something was going to happen or I knew about a record release. And I'm thinking, you know, gee, how did I know so much about, you know, things before we had that you know, instant access to I know. It's, a, it's yeah. amazing, actually. We must have been very resourceful then. I think yes. we would have had to have been. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, it was also going to record stores and talking with people about the music. Exactly, and, and, reading, and, and yeah. reading the magazines, Rolling Stone, Melody Maker, NME, etc. Uh, NME, et yeah. 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 Wonderful. But listen, Eric, we're going to drive you around. We're going to do a little tour. We're going to go to Stockport, Charterhouse, Swindon. Oh. <laughs> All of the, the oh the, the, yeah, Swing, XTC, XTC. Land. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, not many of them are exciting places, I have to say, but it's just it's <laughs> well, important. It's important that we go. Yeah, isn't and, it? Uh, Birmingham with Jeff Lynn, uh, yeah. Portsmouth with Gentle Giants. You know, just <laughs> all right. <laughs> little pockets. We, I'd love we, to visit. We'll do the yeah. whole bloody country there, but why not? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll no. go in the van. We'll, we'll just do a little tour. I, I'd love. To, I'd love to do that. That would be delightful. We would love <laughs> it. My, my, my wife and I are, are both, and we still love watching a lot of the the, the British uh, television as well. So we kind of stay connected and, and have friends over there. So uh, absolutely, we, oh, we would love that. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, brilliant. Well, um, it's, a, it's a, a date for 2022. Then we can't really do yes. it now, but we will do it then. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening